Hey there, dog people of the internet. I'm Sarah Strumming, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I share my thoughts, experiences, and cases as I interview experts and answer your questions when it comes to the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. It's a new year and I have a news flash. Black lives still matter. I'm looking forward in 2021 to not only continuing to donate to causes that I believe in, but also to providing more of a platform for BIPOC voices in the dog world here on Cog Dog Radio. So stay tuned. Friends, I'm excited to let you know about Connection Summit Conversations. This is six candid conversations between Marissa Martino, myself, and occasionally a special guest, covering everything from the human half of dealing with dog-directed reactivity to the importance of play. So check out the link in the show notes. We're getting started soon, and you won't want to miss it. Okay, I've just got a little Patreon question mini-sode for everybody. First one comes from Caitlin, and I'm going to shorten this a little bit. There's a lot of backstory here. Uh, What you need to know is we're talking about a small dog who does not appreciate being harnessed, so having harness being put on. We'll start right here. She gets harnessed up before getting out of the crate, and she maybe displays a little bit of stiffness while being dressed, but gets right back to normal once we're out, even if we don't start walking right away. However, if I were to bring out the harness when she's not in her car crate, she would certainly avoid it. Is this a choice between two evils thing? She's a smaller breed and I really worry about trachea damage on a regular collar or martingale. Plus have feelings about collars and long lines. And she, since she treats the muzzle very, very similarly to her harness, despite tons of conditioning, I'm not sure a head collar would work either. She treats a collar with the same suspicion, so the only difference is she wears a collar all the time, so I don't have to put it on to walk her. Since no equipment is good equipment according to my dog, and I suspect she has a sensory issue, is it an appropriate choice to just make it no choice? If she were miserable in it while walking, this wouldn't even be a question, but she really doesn't bat an eye about it after a second or two. So first of all, Caitlin, I'm really glad you uh, included that bit of information that she is fine once the thing is on her. So I have a couple of different thoughts. The first is that it is very normal for dogs to not like the physical manipulation part of having the harness put on. That's super normal. Um, None of my dogs, I would say, enjoy that part, but they're kind of trained to initiate that part by putting their head through the harness and stand still for it and they get treats and like, no, they don't look thrilled, but they do it and they eat and then they go and they're fine wearing the thing. You mentioned that uh, the dog wears a collar all the time or else this would be an issue with the collar as well. And so one of my questions would be, can the dog not wear a harness most of the time? So if the dog really hates being harnessed, but is fine wearing a harness, That's a dog that I think is a good candidate to wear the harness most of the time, especially if you need to take the dog out frequently to kind of lessen that conflict, that point of conflict of putting on the harness. The other thought is to shape putting on the harness as a separate skill. Do not put it to use um, in that kind of cooperative manner until, until you're ready to kind of accept that the dog might say no, right? But truly, it's something that I would kind of just do 
offer a consolation prize for. So I would just hold up the harness, say we're putting on the harness, put it on, give a bite of cheese, and then go on your walk. So that you're just kind of saying, this is a part of life. This is something to deal with. The dog is fine once they're wearing it, which is a very important piece of information. And then consider whether or not the dog can just wear a harness much of the time. This is one of those situations where you are making the choice for the dog because you are the human and you know what is best for the dog. And it's really important. It's just really important to know that sometimes we have to make those calls and we can just make it as tolerable for them as possible. Okay, next one comes from Spigana, who asks, just listen to Mucho's case study part one. This was such an amazing episode. Would it be possible for you to elaborate on the shred for dinner game? I feed homemade raw and would love to try the wrapping idea for my dogs, but my worry is what materials would be safe for that type of activity. For example, my Saluki really loves all sorts of plastics, but I'm worried that in the shredding that's combined with eating his actual meal, he could actually swallow lots of plastics. Should I stick to wrapping only in paper and add plastics only as a few items of interest in the box? Or do you think that it might be safe to actually wrap the edible bits in heavier plastic? Anyway, I appreciate this a lot since everyone is ever talking only about scavenging games for kibble, but I never heard any game that would be suitable for raw meat consumed in a crate. So what Sam is really talking about is paper products. So putting the raw meat inside like a um, cardboard box that soda came in with packing paper packed around it, that sort of thing. So the dog can shred open the paper and then eat the dinner. If the dog likes plastic, I like to just take a box um, and you could, if you know, if you wanted to clean it and reuse it, you could use a plastic kind of Tupperware bin and put the meat in there and then put um, plastic, empty plastic water bottles on top for the dog to kind of move out of the way to get the meat out. If the dog's into plastic, I would be careful about things that the dog might consume that they shouldn't consume and that goes for the cardboard too so they can definitely eat a little bit of brown paper and cardboard and not be too worse for the wear but if they eat a ton of it it is going to be a problem so anything that the dog will eat that they shouldn't eat should be used very carefully and in general most of my clients are talking about um paper packaging like even you know just paper bags or the containers that you might get like a fast food burger in or something like that, that you put their raw meat food in and then they have to kind of shred or open the container to get the food out. Thank you for asking that kind of clarifying question. Okay, next one comes from Jillian who writes, I have six-year-old 35 pounds super mutt, Pitbull Ridgeback Chihuahua. <laughs> I wonder how that happened, who we have been working on for a long time with her dog aggression and reactivity. I've worked with a lot of trainers and we learned to manage it. We call her a bad first date. She's not great at meeting dogs, but once she knows them, they're friends forever. On to the question. She's very resource guardy of food and toys. Food and toys soothe her when she's alone, but when she's with other dogs, it can make her more reactive. This is mostly an issue when she hangs out with her friend's dogs, with her friend dogs on off-leash hikes, and I use food to reward recall. We've done a lot of training in these scenarios, but she still sometimes snaps at the other dogs when they come up asking for a treat. Any tips on dealing with resource guarding, other ways to soothe or reward her when she's with her friends? So Jillian, great work. It sounds like you have done some excellent work getting this dog 
more comfortable with other dogs. So I really want to applaud you for that. A lot of dogs that have high, high level concerns about resources and then also concerns about other dogs cannot have those two things come together successfully. So when you are out with her dog friends, I would just be very clear about you don't feed her if there are other dogs nearby. She's coming over for a treat and another dog is approaching. You can ask your friend to call that dog um, or you can move away from that dog before feeding her, but it needs to be a rule that she is not put in that situation. Can you work on it? Yes, but um, I can't tell you how in a quick answer to a Patreon question. So bottom line, the core thing I think to remember is that you've come so far and you don't want to put her in situations that are uncomfortable to her. She shouldn't have to share. You shouldn't feed the other dogs on the walk. Um, and you should avoid those situations where two dogs are approaching you at the same time. Think of yourself as a resource. You would not allow a resource guarder and another dog to approach, say, a raw bone at the same time. So don't allow them to approach you at the same time either. Um, and then certainly you can think about other versions of, re of reinforcement, petting, praise, tangible things are probably going to be guarded like toys and toys actually create really big problems because they're not consumed. So they stay in the environment. So I would stay away from those. So it sounds like you've done really excellent work. Keep it up keep kind of working through that piece, that kind of specific struggle, because you don't want to throw away all that great work you've done. Okay, next one is from Caitlin, who writes, episode two on Mucho got me thinking. I have a dog that becomes too over aroused to eat, and you touched on that with this episode. My question is, how much thought is put into the value of the food? In most situations, I'm using like cheese and hot dogs, maybe spray cheese in a can. If that isn't working, I accept that he's not going to eat. But recently, I have also tried offering more and more high value stuff like Braunschweiger, wet dog food, etc., only for him to continue to refuse. Or maybe eat a bite of wet food and then go off again. I understand that offering higher value food could theoretically teach the dog not to eat the lower value food, knowing that if they hold out, they will get something better. Clearly not a problem in my dog's case, at least not yet, because he isn't eating regardless. <laughs> Curious to know your thoughts. So Caitlin, yes, you can train dogs to hold out for the better stuff. However, I think you're right. I don't think that's what's going on for you. I think the dog is that stressed. He's not able to eat. And the higher we kind of climb that ladder and produce better and better stuff, the more in conflict we might actually be putting ourselves. So I'd be listening to, listening to that episode again, as well as part three with Sam where we go in depth on the eating and really think about um, teaching that dog to eat in a variety of circumstances. And I would use, you know, good food. I never use low value. I never use stuff the dog doesn't care about, but I do not bend over backwards to use really, really excellent stuff um, in these situations. The only situation that I bend over backwards to use really exceptional things is my surprise reinforcer for my recall, which I've talked about in the past, in past episodes, that if I really want to pack a punch, I have something that is a surprise and very, very good on my person when I'm hiking, um, just in case I have to call the dog off of something and I want to reinforce really, really big. So I would not continue to climb that ladder, not for the reason of the dog learning to hold out for better stuff, but just because it isn't going to help you. Um, it is not going to teach the dog to eat. 
And it may put you in more conflict with the dog because you're saying, well, will you do it for a million dollars? Right? When the dog says, I will not do that for a hundred dollars. And you say, well, will you do it for a thousand? Um, ugh, now we're, now we're skating the line of maybe having positive reinforcement be coercive and, I did an episode on that, and I think um, I think it's important to keep that stuff in mind. All right, next one is from Susan. Can you speak to the change described in Mucho's case study from field-type hangout decompression walks versus hikes? While certainly it must depend on the dog, after hearing this, I started to wonder if perhaps less frequent, longer real hikes like three to five times a week in the woods would be better for my two-year-old collie versus daily walks through more field or park-like scenes, though the differences were often solo. Fields are closer and more convenient, so I've gotten in the habit, but now I'm wondering if there's something behind it or if I'm overthinking it, which I have a history of doing. (laughs) Well, you're in good company, Susan, but number one, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So if your current decompression uh, walks are working for you, don't worry about them too much. You might experiment with increasing the longer hikes. I know for my dogs, less frequent but higher quality is better than frequent low quality. Um, And frequent low quality kind of over time starts to drain on them and they have to go have um, those longer, higher quality walks. What's better, you know, woods versus field, what's important is that it's changing scenery, it's interesting, it's doggy, they're into it, it's not a manicured lawn, Um, it's very... It's very nature with a capital N, <laughs> okay? So I would I would test it out. I would try the other way. See how you feel about it. Uh, see how your dog feels about it. See how your dog's behavior changes. There isn't a right answer here. Your dog has the right answer. And last one for our mini-sode comes from Caroline, who writes, I'm owned by a six-month-old working line border collie, Kipling. He's my first puppy and has been a joy as long as his brain and body are worked sufficiently and he gets enough rest. While I'm super happy with his behavior overall, there is one in particular that is driving me a little crazy. He has big enthusiastic feelings about me sweeping, mopping, raking, or even using the brush and dustpan. He jumps and bites whatever I'm using and does not want to let it go. It definitely feels like a herdy type movement control behavior, although this is the only one he regularly displays. And I have tried putting him outside or in another room, but then he completely loses it, howling, barking, door scratching. I have also tried doing these chores while he's asleep in his crate in another room, but he immediately wakes up and howls, barks, bar bites. I've also given him super valuable chews or frozen Kongs, but the sweeping, mopping, raking is just too exciting for him. Do you have any suggestions on how to work on this behavior? My thought on my next step is start rewarding him, maybe with a treat and train for calmly staying on his mat, a well-proof behavior for him, while I slowly introduce the chores around him, starting with very little movement of the tool and then working up. Oh, border collies. Um, <laughs> I, w- I started to kind of laugh and suppressed it because this is baby edgy. She She's 12 and a half now, but when she was a puppy, um, she would attack a broom, a mop, a vacuum. I mean, anything like that. She still sort of has some of those behaviors in the almost in the back of her head, but she's like too mature for them now. And the truth is your border collie says this is my sheep. This is my version of sheep that I have found in my life. And that, that happens, you know, if we're not careful, it happens quickly. And the 
the obsession is is real. You cannot soothe them. You cannot have a herd of sheep in your living room and expect it to care about a Kong in the other room, um, let alone just hang out quietly in the other room. So my first inclination is to say the dog should not have to deal with you doing this, meaning, yeah, put the dog somewhere else, but it needs to be like in the car, not in another room in the house or on a walk with another person while you do this. So literally not dealing with it at all is number one. And then number two would be, yes, go with your mat stay behavior, but let the dog attack the broom as its reinforcer. Oh God, people get upset about this. That was my success with Iggy when she was a young dog. I taught her to wait and then I let her attack the broom on cue. So Border Collies are very good at rules. They're very good at um, being told when to do the thing. They're not as good at being told not to do the thing that their hundreds of years of ancestry are telling them to do. So number one, don't expect them to deal with it. But also number two, teach him when to bite the thing or attack the thing is another alternative. Now, other than that, we could do a long drawn out behavior modification plan. We could but I can't do that for you here on the podcast. So those are kind of my two answers for you. Great question. I hope you all enjoyed the mini-sode. And if you're not on Patreon yet, get over there so I can answer your questions too. Are you on Patreon yet? It's where you can get all the extras for this podcast. The original tier over there still exists where the dog people of the internet provide the questions for the episodes and guide the content of the podcast. But there's a new tier. You can become a Cog Dog Arena and get access to my training sessions with my own dog. So that includes agility, obedience, behavior, and stuff with my brand new puppy, Rhea, live guest chats, and more. So go to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. The link is in the show notes. You don't want to miss out.